Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchef. This is a Cali Barbecue Media production. Today is June 22nd, 2020, the day we're recording. And uh, it's the day after Father's Day. It was uh, an incredible Father's Day for us here at the restaurant at Cali. Uh, we were able to digitally sell more barbecue to the point where we didn't even open our doors. Um, we are supposed to open at noon and we stopped digital sales at 1130. Every single week we talk about digital hospitality, our thesis that every business, no matter what sector you're in, whether you're in a restaurant or a bar or a lawyer or you own a sporting goods store, you need to have a digital presence. Um, you need to have a strong website. You need to have an e-commerce component. But you also have to have hospitality in your business. So even if you're a tech company, even if you're doing things um, that are more towards the line of smartphone enabled, you still have to have that human piece. Um, the human piece is what separates the companies that are going to win and the companies that um, just view things as a transaction. One of the reasons we love the barbecue space um, is that the people that are in the barbecue space are so giving. And today's guest, um, <laughs> you know, I, I spoke with Greg Rempe, who was a, a previous guest on Digital Hospitality. Uh, he's uh, the host of the Barbecue Central show. Um, I spoke with him about our, our guest today, and uh, we, we agreed that the essence of digital hospitality, the essence of the thesis is is really meathead. Um, that's our guest. Uh, did, uh, the, I don't sell the, anything. The most-trafficked <laughs> website on the internet, amazingribs.com, the man who is living the dream, um, the myth. It's it, it's for me as somebody that grew up in barbecue. I didn't grow up in barbecue, but our business, once I met Gene Goykache and he gave us the gift of barbecue, um, helped us become a barbecue restaurant. Uh, I started, I joined the National Barbecue Association. We joined Kansas City Barbecue um, Society, started learning about who's who and who's doing what. And Meathead was the first person that we were uh, that was on our radar um, because of all the incredible work that he did that he's done and he continues to do. So, well, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Gosh, I mean, why do I have to still take out trash and pick up dog poop? If I'm not <laughs> you know, that's that's because you're a husband. That has nothing to that has nothing to do with <laughs> yeah. everyone that's living the life still has to be a husband. Yeah, that's the truth. Uh, Forty five years. Congratulations. That's right. phenomenal. I think, um, you know, for for me as somebody that, you know, as as a fan of barbecue and as a fan of people that are doing things that are are different, that are creative, that are cutting edge, you've been doing it for such a long time. I and mean, you started Amazing Ribs back in 2005. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. 2005, you had the idea and you have you have a, a background in journalism and a background in photography, mm -hmm. which I find very fascinating given the current state of the Internet. But we'll get into more. We'll get more into that later. Um, I'd love to hear about your time before AmazingRibs.com as a writer um, for the Chicago Tribune and for the Washington Post. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, <clears throat> take us back. I, I, I was a, uh, a journalism major in college, and uh, I wanted to be a newspaperman. Um, uh, it was a very highly respected profession once, <laughs> um, and uh, I was well-trained. Um, and uh, at the University of Florida, Columbia, um, University of Missouri, those were the big journalism schools way back in the 70s when I was in college. And I was at the University of Florida. I'm a Gator. 
and uh, uh, so I uh, was a you know trained as a writer, but I also had a great deal of interest in photography, and I studied with a photographer. Uh, that if there are any artists out there, they'll know the name Jerry Ewellsman. Um, if you don't know the name Jerry Ewellsman, Google him. He's just brilliant, and I studied with him. Got my master's in fine arts at the Art Institute of Chicago, which is a great art school, and uh, went to work in a liquor store. <laughs> and uh, I, I had worked my way through college in a liquor store. In fact, I, I'll tell you a good story. Um, when I was in college, I worked in ABC Liquors in Gainesville, Florida, which was a chain, 60-some stores. Still is pretty big, I think. And um, the liquor store was the front half, and we had a bar in the back half. And I was the assistant manager, and uh, that meant, you know, when the manager wasn't on staff, I was in charge. And uh, I, one day a week, usually on Thursday or Friday, I think, some guy would come into the bar with a big old beer cooler full of ribs. And he they wrapped in foil. Fantastic. And he would come into the bar and he would sell the ribs to the patrons in the bar. And I thought this was the coolest thing. And I tasted these ribs and I'd never had anything like this. This was, you know, 21 year old college kid. And these ribs just blew me away. Um, years later, I found out that was Sonny from Sonny's Barbecue. Wow. Uh, the chain in Florida. He got started cooking ribs in his backyard and going from bar to bar with beer coolers full of ribs selling them. <laughs> um, and he was my uh, uh, one of my introductions to real barbecue. That's uh, I would buy a slab and bring it back to the fraternity house and the guys would all sit around and say, how'd he do this? You know? <laughs> That's crazy. And that, so that was the real, the first taste, kind of the Kind of. And there was a there was a barbecue joint in Gainesville, um, uh, in, in 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 the in the black section where uh, the college kids rarely went, um, uh, owned by a guy named Y.T. Parker, and I went in there frequently, having gotten a taste of real barbecue, and Y.T.'s had a pit, a real pit. A hole dug in the ground out back. I mean, we're talking the 70s. And uh, uh, he had, you know, expanded metal over the top. And he and a bunch of his buddies would hang around the pit smoking cigarettes, drinking beers, and flipping the meat. Eventually, he built himself a, 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 a concrete block pit. And he'd let me hang out there. Wow. And he taught me how to cook barbecue. Really? Uh, and and uh, the best thing about YT was uh, he and his buddies loved hot sauces, so <laughs> he would he 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 he, ha he had a hot barbecue sauce that he made, and if you could make if you could eat it hotter than his hot sauce, you could name it. Oh, and really? The last time I was in there, the the name of the hot sauce was Super Saber Jet. <laughs> That's hilarious. So I, I, I got it. I got it. I got a good schooling and uh, went in school uh, for barbecue. So you caught the barbecue bug early. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the things that I've always loved about barbecue is it's it's something that just like you said, it can be a pit in the ground and it doesn't matter. It's a it's a global 
thing that we've been doing forever as humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that brings people together. It's something that just the nature in the slow craft of cooking something like that is shareable. And it's not just shareable in the food, but it's shareable in the information. Um, yeah. That's when you learn more about people. And I think, you know, for me, it's it's all these barbecue stories that I've learned um, being around it now for 12 years, having a barbecue restaurant, but now being able to do the podcast, have conversations with you. Um, you know, it's, it's a real gift to create something like AmazingRibs.com that has the most traffic out of any barbecue website ever and to build this community. You have this incredible community of people that literally you've changed their lives because you've given them a gift of live fire. You've given them a gift that they can now use to cook for their kids on Father's Day or to cook for their father. Um, it's it's a real testament to, to what, what you've been able to build. Well, I'm, I'm flattered you think so. I, I, I got to say, um, you know, when I was in high school and college, I got pretty good grades and I got a little full of myself and I started to think I was a pretty smart guy. And uh, uh, when I got out, I was going to, you know, I was going to be president. I was going to change the world. I was going to be uh, a Nobel Prize winner or something. And uh, when I got out, I realized I'm just an average Joe. And, uh, you know, I uh, bounced from job to job, worked in liquor stores, got into wine, um, but uh, never really... um Never really distinguished myself at, at first. Um, and then in um, uh, 2000, around 2004, five, I started getting serious about barbecue and I built AmazingRibs.com. And now I have not only just found my niche, but I am I have found that I am having an impact on the world because every day we get a reader um, or a member of our Pitmaster Club or somebody who sends me a message saying, You've changed my life. You've made my life better. Um, I didn't know how to cook until I met your website. Um, when I come home from work, the kids say, Mom, can Dad cook tonight? Um, or uh, I got laid last night because of you, you know? Uh, so, um, uh, you know, it, it took me uh, 50-some years to figure that out. But uh, when you teach people how to cook, you teach them something really intimate. Um, feeding someone is perhaps the second most intimate thing you can do with another person. And uh, uh, it's a very gracious, generous act um, that people really appreciate. And sitting around a table together, eating and conversing is just such a powerful thing in life. So um, to be able to help people do that, I think, is my life's accomplishment. I, 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 I agree. And I think that one thing that fascinates me is You've been a you were a writer. You're a journalist. When was your oh shit moment with the internet, where you realized that this thing that kept you up at night and that you wanted to start actually might work and turn into a business? Because people want a blog, people want a podcast. And I talked to you know Rempy about it. I talked to other podcasters. Only one percent of podcasters make money from doing it. And I'm guessing the stats are probably the same for people that have a blog. Well, I'm not aware of many people who publish on the internet who can make a living at it full time yes. in cooking. Yes. Um, but um, uh, we have at least three people on our team full time who make a living at it, and uh, we try to pay them well. Um, and then there's a half a dozen or more others who are half time or better with us. But um, 
um, we treat it as a profession. Um, I first stumbled into the internet way back early. Um, I'm not sure how I found it, um, but uh, in in the early early days, uh, there was no World Wide Web. There was um, uh, AOL, uh, CompuServe, and um, oh God, what was the third one? It was by Sears owned it. Uh, um, it was the big one. I've, I've I'm drawing a blank now, but we're talking back in the uh, uh, the late '80s, early '90s, mm-hmm. and uh, these were all proprietary gated walled-in systems, and AOL was the smallest, but I was a Mac user, and I really understood the concept of um, double-clicking on an icon, uh, user-friendly, um, and the, uh, the the rest of the computer world was, you know, um, uh, type R for red wine, type W for white wine, and, <laughs> uh, and so I... I, 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 um, I I met Steve Case, who at the time was building AOL, and I pitched him on letting me start the Food and Drink Network segment of AOL, and I became, I ran the whole Food and Drink Network on AOL for nine years. Wow. And uh, that's when AOL became Facebook. I mean, uh, you know, people forget or don't know, but at one time, AOL ruled the world. AOL bought Time Warner. Yeah. AOL owned, I mean, it wasn't the other way around. Time Warner didn't buy AOL. AOL bought Time Warner. Um, uh, they were they were very huge, very successful. We made good money at it. And uh, I brought Julia Child online. I did her first uh, internet chat. Um, so I got deep into it early. And I learned their programming language. And uh, I later, as pr- things progressed to the, um, the internet, uh, Netscape came along. It was the first real browser. Um, it, it, it's now called Firefox, but its predecessor was Netscape. Um, when they came along, um, the World Wide Web started to grow. And uh, there was no toll booth for the World Wide Web, but AOL had a toll booth. And that was the, e- the beginning of the end for AOL. Yeah. Um, and and we, uh, I started fiddling around with the World Wide Web. Around what time was that? What What year? Period where towards uh, the end of your AOL. I started diddling around around 2000. So around the uh, around the, the dot com bust. Yeah, I I was running a company called Beverage Testing Institute. I owned a company. It was all about um, wine, um, wine, beer, and spirits. Um, we started a magazine, and we wanted to compete with a guy named Robert Parker, who is like the most influential wine uh, critic in the world. So was and, uh, it was an actual printed magazine and a digital side? Yeah. No, it, ha- it was a printed magazine only in those days. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, um, we, uh, b- but we, 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 we recognized it with this WWW thing was happening. And I hooked up with a guy and he was involved with LA Online. And LA Online was sort of like AOL outside of AOL on the internet. And we, 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 we started the Food and Drink Network on LA Online. And then it grew and I built my own website, amazingribs.com, because I, I was into barbecue. And uh, it grew. That's incredible. What what around when when did you see the traction as far as users or as far as people coming traffic? What what was it that that actually made you go? Well, actually, I can earn money doing this. Well, I 
I, I really rolled out AOL in a serious fashion in 2005. I had been, uh, did I say AOL? I meant uh, AmazingRibs.com. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I really, I rolled them out, uh, rolled it out around 2005 in a, you know, uh, an earlier iteration of what we have today with one recipe, ribs. Okay. Um, it was. Uh, it's good to have a ribs recipe. Uh, well, in those days, uh, Google was nothing, and yeah. if you wanted to find something on the internet, everything was listed alphabetically. Um, uh, and 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 it, it, finding anything on the internet was like going into the library and all the books were on the floor. Yeah. I mean, you had no way of finding anything, so we named it AmazingRibs.com because it starts with an A. Yeah. I wanted to be the first one in the alphabet. Yeah. Um, and it started with one recipe, uh, a rib recipe, because I had a neighbor who was a butcher who was bragging on his ribs, and uh, we got into a over-the-fence uh, uh, barking match, and uh, it turned into, okay, wise guy, I'll, I'll challenge you to a competition. And uh, so I said, okay, and uh, I went in, and I immediately started trying to find books on barbecue. Mm-hmm. And uh, there weren't any real good books. There was one um, um, by, uh, oh, God, uh, Cheryl uh, and... Uh, Alder. Um, oh, I'm drawing a blank. I'm getting to be an old man, and my memory is <laughs> proper names. But it was uh, Smoke and Spice, I think. And uh, um, uh, that was a good book. But I, I said, geez, you know, I mean, it's time to write a book about ribs. There's no book about ribs. Um, and so I thought, okay, we'll start by building a website and kind of crowdsource it. I'll put my recipe out there. We'll see what people think about it. And then as the search engines grew, we were the first ones in the game, essentially. Um, They all gave us love. And uh, I started adding pulled pork and brisket and chicken and burgers. And, you know, it just, there's well over a thousand recipes. The website, the free part of the website now has somewhere between three and four thousand pages. And uh, it's divided into recipes, technique and science, and myth-busting. Product reviews, we've got Max Good, who full-time tests grills and smokers for us. That's all Max does. He's got a better job than I do. Um, (laughs) And he just tests grills and smokers. When did did you hire Max, and what what was there, the demand was that high that people were coming and asking? You know, I don't remember the exact year, but it was about seven or eight years ago. Um, I was trying to write reviews of Grills and Smokers, um, and um, I I didn't have time to do it right. And one thing that overrides everything I do is do it right. Um, just don't 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 do things half-assed. Um, uh, you know, spell things properly. Use good grammar. Um, uh, research thoroughly. Don't just say stuff that you think is true without checking it out. And uh, I, I was struggling to do good reviews. I was going in and hardware stores and fiddling around with the grills there and I was buying a lot of grills and uh, I met Max and I he was making a barbecue sauce he he, he was trying to peddle a barbe- homemade barbecue sauce he had it made commercially but he was you know one of the many guys who hey you got a good barbecue sauce you ought to start a business <laughs> you know yeah, it's and, not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> and we talked, and I said, well, I, you know, why don't you come to work for me and uh, be a grill tester? And that's what happened there. And he, I don't think there's anybody else in the world who does what he does. I mean, he's full-time 
testing grills and smokers. I mean, he's there's nobody who knows more about grills and smokers than he does. I mean, he just knows it. And we have perhaps 500 grills and smokers that we've tested hands-on thoroughly in detail with a proper regimen. And uh, um, if, you know, it, it, we, you know it, it's, it's, it's a draw to the website. If somebody's looking to buy the new master-built uh, uh, gravity feed uh, charcoal grill, uh, they search and they find us. Yeah. And when when did you start actually making money off of the site? How long did it take? It took till around 2010. 2010. Uh, yeah, it took about five years. Um, but it, it, it started making money fairly early. Um, we started taking ads. Um, then we discovered you couldn't, um, uh, if you recommended books that were on Amazon, Amazon would pay you a finder's fee. Um, uh, or And then as Amazon expanded beyond books, you know, tongs, spatulas. So we started testing products like that, you know, lights. Uh, and uh, so the affiliate revenue. Um, and uh, thermometers. Uh, I mean, I, I early on I became a great fan and advocate of thermometers. Um, uh, my wife worked for the FDA for a number of years in the food safety uh, world, and and she once told me she thinks that we have probably been responsible for more thermometer sales <laughs> than, than than the USDA. <laughs> we just preach thermometers on every page, um, and. Uh, you know, I mean, I, when you go back um, to 2010 or so, um, the competition chefs weren't using thermometers. They were all, you know, poking the meat. And, you know, you can tell when brisket is done, you stick a fork in it and twist it. And it's got to have the wubba wubba. And uh, uh, I think we get a little bit of credit for teaching the world that they're not the end-all be-all for things like brisket, but for things like steak and chicken, absolutely, there's nothing better than a thermometer to get you where you want to be. One of the things that uh, impressed me significantly is the amount of media that you've been able to leverage from your book, but also on the myth-busting side yeah. of, of really taking something that, you know, is maybe let's say in popular culture this is what people think is right but then actually showing the science behind it to prove it wrong and um, it's gotten you a lot of significant media coverage i'd love for you to tell us a little bit about that journey well I, as a journalist also as a person with an interest in science um I, you are trained to ask how do you know that to be true <laughs> i mean that's the most important question yeah. when somebody says something how do you know that to be true? You know, well, you got to soak the wood chips. Makes more smoke. How do you know that to be true? So you test it and you think about it and you say, now, wait, wait a second. Water boils at 212 degrees. What temperature does wood burn at? Five or 600. So if you've got wood chips that are wet, they can't burn until the water boils off. So what is that stuff that when you throw the wood chips on? So you get a mirror and you hold a mirror over it and it fogs up. And you realize, holy cow, that's steam. Um, <laughs> then, then you call up the physicist. And I met this guy, Greg. Was in a barbecue. He came to the website. He was interested. And I started bringing physics and chemistry questions to him. And we run tests. What was his name? 
Greg Blonder, B-L-O-N-D-E-R. His name is on the cover of our book. He's the uh, um, he, he is the science advisor to AmazingRibs.com, and uh, I uh, I put him on the cover of the book uh, because he's the one who really helped guide me down the science path and answer my like right, right now one of the questions I'm struggling with are the vacuum tumblers. Um, uh, you know, people want to put meat inside of a vacuum tumbling machine with a marinade, and the idea is it's going to suck the marinade in. Now, wait a minute. If you put something into a vacuum, you're sucking the air out. Yeah. So you're going to suck the moisture out. How's the marinade going to go in? You know, I mean, just, you know, logically. So sure. you start questioning this. And I start. I called up the uh, the chef at Budig, which is a large meat processor. He used to be my um, sous chef. And okay. he's now down there full time. They do tumbling, um, vacuum tumblers. And I call it, we, we, I've got another guy, Dr. Ma, Antonio Mata, from, he used to be at Oklahoma State, a meat scientist. I call him up and ask him, and, and then I call Blonder up. So I get the physics, the meat science, and everything. And it turns out it works if you've injected the meat. But it's no of no value. And in fact, you can see it. If you've ever done sous vide, you put meat in a sous vide bag and you put it on the vacuum, you can see all the juices coming out of the meat. Yeah. In fact, if they get into the seal area, you're you're screwed. You can't seal the meat. So vacuum tumblers of themselves don't work unless you've injected first. And that helps distribute the meat because of the tumbling and the vacuuming and so on. So you start asking these questions. How does how do you know it to be true? How does it work? And uh, you learn that soaking wood chips. Well, the other thing we did was we took the wood chips and I took chips and chunks and weighed them. Then I soaked them, not for an hour like all the books said, but overnight. And then patted the surface dry and weighed them again. And they were only about a 3% gain. Mm -hmm. Then I took the chunks and cut them in half on my table saw downstairs. And the inside is bone dry. It, it, the, the exterior, where it's kind of fuzzy, yeah, held on to some water. But the interior is bone dry. And then you start thinking about it. Well, if you're trying to get a stable temperature, because cooking is all about temperature control, and yeah. you throw wet wood on your charcoal, what happens to your temperature control? So... The bottom line is, is all the books, I, 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 you can't see here, but um, I have maybe every barbecue book that's ever been written on the bookshelves here. And 90% of them tell you to soak the wood chips. Does you no good whatsoever. So do you crowdsource the questions or do you do that in, intuitively? How, how does your team collectively choose this is a myth or this is something that this is a trendy comes from treat ask us you know yeah. hey there's there's this vacuum tumbling machine on amazon um and it gets the marinade inside the meat better they say what do you think and i start thinking and uh, you know and so then we buy one and we start playing with it we start asking around and but you know i i <laughs> kind of running out of myths right now <laughs> i mean there were about 50 or 60 of them that we uh, that we attacked you, you told me everything everything is truth in the world these days <laughs> <laughs> well i mean for example one of the first things blonder and i did together was we wanted to know what caused the stall 
and um, we went to the Barbecue Brethren website and uh, went, you know, researched and everything. And they were all convinced it was either the liquefaction of fat or the phase change in um, connective tissue to gelatin. And um, I bring this to Blonder, and he does the math, and he says, no, it can't be. And he does a series of experiments um, in which we proved without a doubt that it is it's really simple that when the surface of the meat is wet if you're cooking at a low temp around 225 250 Mm -hmm. that the evaporation from the surface cools the meat at the same rate as the heat warms the meat and so it sticks at that temperature until the surface dries out when the surface dries out it's like making jerky then the interior of the meat temp can go up i mean it's a really basic concept that a lot of people don't think about but when you you know it's 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 like the question of um if you're looking you ain't cooking well all right you put meat into a smoker the warm air heats the outside of the meat but it doesn't heat the inside of the meat it can't get inside the meat what cooks the inside of the meat? The heat builds up in the surface like a, uh, uh, a battery or a, a capacitor. And as the heat, the energy, it's much better to think of it as energy than heat. The energy builds up in the surface and the energy slowly, because meat is 70% water, it slowly moves towards the center. So we, you know, stuck a bunch of probes in the meat and open and close the lid and open and close the lid. And you put a probe under the surface in the center and lo and behold, the meat hardly notices when you open and close the lid because the interior of the meat is being cooked by the exterior of the meat, not the air. Interesting. So you see the air temp go off the edge of the table, but the and the exterior of the meat takes a slight dip, but the interior just keeps on chugging. It yeah. doesn't notice. And we've got charts and graphs. And we did the same kind of experiments with the um, with with the stall where we just where we define definitely prove that the stall is evaporative cooling. And that's why the Texas crutch works. Because when you wrap it in foil, you stop evaporation. So it stops cooling the meat and continues to cook. It goes right on through. And it's also why if you take your brisket up to 3, 325, 350, the warm air overcomes the cooling effect of the evaporation. And so you bust through the stall faster that way. Um, and you know th- this is all just really easy to answer, easy to learn science. And when we went to the barbecue brethren and we said, we have it. We figured it out. We, I got called every name under the sun. Really? I mean, it was like saying there is no God. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was like, what the fuck do you know? You know, uh, you, 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 you know, yeah, who's ever heard of you? And uh, don't give me that. And it was re- the, 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 the fact, the truth was yes. met with great hostility as it often is. Sure. Well, the transparency, I think ultimately in the end is going to build that community because they come to you for that transparency and they come to you for that truth. It doesn't matter to you what that truth is if you're documenting the science, right? Well, it's this is the year this is the year 2020. I wrote the book back I finished the book in 2016. But 
we're 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 in the two thousands. Yes. This is a technological era. I mean, we all have more computing power in our phone that went to the moon. Yeah. Um, we're a technological age. There are an awful lot of people who ask why. Um, when it comes to cooking, you know, it used to be do step one, do step two, do step three, um, and uh, uh, people now want to know. Why do I do step one? Why do I do step two? Why do I do step three? What happens if I skip step two? What happens if I substitute brown sugar for white sugar? Yeah. Um, and they're asking those questions, and we've made an effort to answer those. So, you know, we try to explain why we do things. And, you know, like salt, for example, is another one. We know for a fact that salt behaves differently than any other spice. Salt is the magic rock. It's just two little atoms, sodium and chloride. And when they get on the surface of meat, they get wet. And when they get wet, they get electronically charged, they ionization, and they move slowly towards the center of the meat. And when they get into the meat, they alter the shape of the protein. It's called denaturing. And they help the protein hold moisture. And salt enhances flavor, but doesn't alter it, not like garlic does or onion do. They they alter the flavor. But garlic, onion, sugar, sugar's 23 atoms. It's too large to penetrate. It can't penetrate. You take your Thanksgiving turkey and you put, put it in a uh, bucket with apple cider and black pepper and garlic and onion and sugar. None of it goes anywhere past the surface. It can't. The molecules are just too large. Salt will get in. Nothing else will. And if you take your turkey breast and you cook it and you slice it open and you take a core sample, you won't taste apple juice or pepper or garlic. It's all on the surface. So if you're just going to put it on the surface, why are you a ton of this stuff in a bucket of just sprinkle it on the damn surface. So now we ask, okay, if salt behaves differently and it goes to the center of the meat, whereas all the other spices and rubs are on the surface, they shouldn't be applied together. You should put the salt on as far in advance as you can so it can have time to get in. And we do little calculations and we come up with roughly a half a teaspoon of kosher salt per pound of meat. But because the rub, the rest of the rub, the garlic, the, the paprika, the onion powder, the black pepper, or the ginger, all the stuff that's in your rub, is not going past the surface. I say past the surface. It can get into the little bits of cracks and crevices and pores, and maybe an, a, a, an eighth of an inch. Yeah. Can't go much further than that. Uh, and, and and you see the same effect with smoke. The smoke ring is what that, that usually of a quarter inch or less. Yeah. It can't penetrate deep. Um, so you 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 find out that this stuff is all sitting on the surface. So you 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 apply the spices based on how much surface area you have, and the salt based on the weight. So. Let's say you have a slab of ribs and a pork butt, and it, the surface areas might be about the same, but the butt's going to weigh a lot more. You need more salt on the butt than you do on the ribs, especially since the ribs are half bone. Yeah. And you need the same amount of rub on both. Wow. So 
we come up with the basic core concept, make your own rubs and don't put salt in them. Apply yeah. the, it's like the gas, the clutch and the brake. They all move together to get the car moving and mm -hmm. to stop the car, but they work independently. You can stop the car by stepping on the brake or you can throw it in reverse. <laughs> they both work. You want your salt separate from your spices and herbs. And that way you can, can, you can apply the right amount. And that just blows a lot of people's minds. But when you think about it, it makes perfect sense. I think it's it's fascinating because you give away that kind of information for free and then you got to a point where you wanted to package that information all this you know knowledge that you you've acquired into a book what what compelled you to write the book well when I started amazingribs.com the whole idea was there's no book about ribs. Yes. So I'm going to write a book. I'm going to put it out there on the internet. I'm going to get information feedback and I'm going to write a book about ribs in 2005. Was the plan to actually write a physical book or to yeah. self-published book on the internet? Yeah. No, the plan was to write a physical book and get a publisher and make a lot of money. There you go. Got it. Okay. It, it took me from 2005 to 2016 to actually <laughs> write a book. Low and slow. You do it low and slow. That's fine. And and here and here's the here's the, here's the, here's the here's the rub. Pardon the pun. Two days ago, I published, Kindle format only, a book about ribs. No way. All about pork ribs. Really? Just 103 pages, Amazing. everything about pork ribs that you can imagine. It just went on Kindle. It's $3.99. It's a ebook only. It won't appear in print, um, but it's all about ribs. And, and a lot of people don't know you can run Kindle on um, uh, on Macs and iPads and iPhones. You just need the Kindle app. It'll run on every different platform you've got, and it's got every plus a bunch of good recipes. So it's everything everything that you've ever wanted to know about ribs. Exactly. Congratulations. That's that's <laughs> took me how, like 2005 to 2015 years to finally get a book of my ribs out. I work slowly. <laughs> we, we, we say that uh, we run our business like we run our barbecue and that's low and slow. We're not we're not in a rush. Some of the, the best things in life take take time. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so so for you, I know that you guys set up kind of later on this pitmasters club what what is that meant to establish that i know from a business standpoint it's a great revenue stream but i know that it's more than that to you what what does it mean to you oh well you know the 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 holy grail of every website <clears throat> is to make your website what they call sticky. You know, when you talk to Rempe, you got him to talk inside baseball. You got him to talk about the nature of his business. And I know you like business talk. Yes. You're into the business world. And you the, how, the Internet is a fascinating world. When we launched in 2005, um, you either had the Food Network or Bon Appetit behind you. And the internet site was just another distribution channel. Sure. But you could make some money with advertising. And there was, companies were starting to experiment with advertising. And they eventually learned that it's a good way to advertise because you can get really good metrics. When you advertise on TV, you have no idea who's watching, how many people are watching, and that. And you can get much better metrics when you're advertising the internet. And money started going to the internet. 
But, you know, law of supply and demand holds true there, too. And, you know, when we launched, we were like probably, if not the first, one of the only barbecue websites. And by 2010, I was doing it full time. Um, uh, and we were building traffic. Um, uh, now there are hundreds of daddy blogs, mommy blogs. Uh, everybody who has a smoker is blogging about uh, a smoker and a keyboard. That's all you need. And yeah. and you're in competition with me. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, keyboard, you can just have your iPhone. Yeah, and they and now they all want me to link to them too. Send yeah. my send my traffic to them. <laughs> um, but um, uh, with supply and demand, uh, advertisers now can advertise on Daddy Blogs and reach a similar audience, and their their cost is much cheaper than on a site like ours, which has so much more reach. Just so anybody out there gets it in proportion, we average around three million page views a month. That is, uh, I think, puts us in the top 25 of all culinary websites in the country. I mean, we're up there. We're, we, we get more traffic than the, the, than the, uh, the Wienermobile, you know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, it, it, it's, a, it, it's a pretty big website uh, with a lot of traffic. Um, and, and as a result, unfortunately, our ad rates are pretty steep. But with all the supply and demand rule in effect, rates for advertising have, have declined. You cannot make a living on advertising only out there anymore. Now, you can get some money from affiliate revenue by sending customers who, you know, if you uh, fall in love with a frying pan and you think it's fantastic and you tell your audience about it and you link to Amazon, Amazon will pay you somewhere between 6 and 8% of the sale. Uh, and that's called affiliate revenue. And a number of companies have affiliate relationships. Thermapen or Thermaworks has it. Grill Grates has it. Um, a lot of manufacturers have an affiliate relationship with barbecue websites so that if you send traffic and they buy, you get a finder's fee. And that's you never know who, who, only traffic through links. That's not traffic through actual ad, ad, advertisements. Or is it both? Or, uh, no, it's just through links. So. So it's by 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 grill grates. Obviously, we love grill grates. We're a huge fan. Absolutely fans of love grill grates. He's we were, we we were the it's first to discuss. one thing I give to people for for any kind of yeah. gift. Here's grill. Here's your set of grill grates. Ask Brad. We discovered them like right out of the gate. We we put them on the map, and we we taught him how they work. Yeah. He didn't understand the physics behind it, awesome. and then we taught him flip them over when you do your burgers. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you got a griddle, pal, and you got a griddle with holes to let the fat drip through and the smoke come up. Yeah. Oh, my God. You can yeah. ask, Brad. So um, uh, so you take advertising, you can get some money there, you can get affiliate revenue there. But what the, the holy grail of any Internet website is to make it sticky, make people keep coming back. And yeah. the way you do that is you build a community. You get people who are into the site, who not only commune with you, mm -hmm. but with each other. And so we started in 2014, yes, 2014, what we called the Pitmaster Club. And it's strictly a interactive forum. It's not like the free part of the website with all the ratings and the reviews and the articles. And it's where the, the members run it. 
the members run it and it's and they talk to each other we just had a really interesting incident with one of the beloved members who's been with us since the beginning his wife has gotten sick I'm sorry and they're struggling financially and a bunch of the guys got together and bought him a griddle he always wanted a griddle we bought him a camp chef griddle everybody chipped in and he's just over the moon he can't believe it um uh, i mean there's that sort of thing you know um, uh, they they swap recipes when they buy a grill. They talk about what they like and dislike about it, and we have a lot of stuff. We have Rempy is a regular um, uh, pit. He has a, a regular. We call it a podcast, a pitcast. He had that for a long time. We have a lot of features, a lot of benefits. Uh, you get Barbecue News Magazine for free, Tailgater Magazine. Um, but one of the cool things is, is if you're going to pass. 24 bucks a year we'll block advertising for you we don't need advertising Mm -hmm. so we are like pbs we're user supported we have 16,500 members right now amazing the the last i heard before coronavirus kcbs had 18,000 members now, this is Kansas City Barbecue Society, for those who don't know. Right. Yeah, it was the largest consumer uh, barbecue association in the world. And uh, you've got a sign on the wall, KCBS. Yep. There are barbecue our, competitions. Barbecue event um, and uh, it's a beloved uh, entity. It's been around 35 years. 18,000 members. We're 16,500 members in six years. In a few weeks, we'll be six years old. Since coronavirus, they're not having any competitions. Yes. And nobody wants to sit in a tent uh, tasting barbecue cooked by amateur chefs who may not be using the most sanitary methods. And so they've shut down. I don't know what their current membership is and how long this coronavirus is going to go on, but I think it's a pretty fair bet with us growing and them shrinking. We're, if not now, we'll be very shortly larger than they are and the largest consumer barbecue association in the world. And people, uh, and that is a revenue stream. 24 bucks a year, 16,500 members. You guys do the math. That's a business plan. Now, uh, we're looking on a global scale. Where do you see hotbeds outside of the United States? States for barbecue? Well, um, we don't have a huge amount of uh, members from overseas, but we do. We have members from 40 different countries, and it's where you would think they would be, where barbecue is beloved, and that's Australia, South Africa, Germany, um, the, the, the Northlands, um, the Finland and Norway, surprisingly, are strong. Norway. Uh, I think part of that is, is there's a there's a few people who are fanatic up there, and they're really like Johnny Appleseed. They're spreading the word. Yeah. Um, we've got China, Japan, um, Angola. You know, little, little tiny countries all over the world. Um, we're only in English, unfortunately. Um, so to join, you really want to be able to speak English. There's a good contingent from Argentina and Brazil. Um, but I would say 95% of our members are U.S. based. That's uh, it's very impressive. And I think, you know, for trying to build community is something always a hot button topic when you're talking about digital marketing, when you're talking about social media marketing. And I mean, when you're talking about really hospitality, what 
what we've been able to do in our in our restaurant if we if it wasn't for community if it wasn't for the things that we did outside of the four walls of our restaurant i don't know if we'd be open today um it's got it's got to not only be it can't be about ourselves it can't be about who we are and what we do it's got to be what can we add value to in other people's lives and it's all about them and and um uh, they really run the show and i'll tell you there are no flame wars in there um, there are no art. We, I mean, we, we make it clear right from the get go, no politics, no race, no religion. And, um, and, and no calling other guys names. We just last week kicked a guy out. The first one we've kicked out in maybe a year in six years, I think we've kicked six guys out and wow. it's cause he kept calling people names. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, he, he doesn't like the pit barrel cooker. It's a piece of shit. And I threw mine in the trash and you guys ought to throw yours in the trash. And he kept belittling other people. And we, 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 we give him three strikes and, uh, the members were bitching about this clown. So we kicked him out. Um, gave him full refund. You know, I can afford the twenty-four bucks. Sure. And and I got hosannas. I mean, thank you, meathead. Thank <laughs> you for getting rid of this monkey. Right. Uh, now my biggest challenge right now is that we're something like eighty percent male. Um, and uh, um, we need more women in there, and we need to uh, get them. I mean, you see this everywhere in the barbecue world, in the barbecue circuit. It is um, um, uh, white men. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, you know, we've got a, 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 a few exceptions to the rule. You know, guys like Mo Kaysan and Sylvie uh, and a, a few others. I mean, Candy Weaver. But yeah. they're... Amy Mills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But few and far between. Yeah. Few and far between. And, uh, you know, something else that makes us different that is really important also is this comes from the journalism training. Um, When you look at our pages, particularly on a computer, um, there's no advertising in the content. It's all off to the periphery. Now, on a smartphone, we have no choice. It's this little tiny screen. Um, I just keep advertising and editorially apart. I don't sell advertising. I have a third-party sales. Um, they work on commission. I don't know who she sells to or who buys advertising, and I don't care. All I do is check the bank balance. Mm-hmm. Um, we... Um, we don't accept junkets. When manufacturers call Max up and said, we'd like to fly you out to show you our factory and how we make our grills, he says, no, I'm sorry, I can't accept the ticket. Um, uh, this is not true in the industry. Uh, we don't accept um, commissions to write a recipe. We don't endorse a product, any product. Um, uh, you know, there's no beer that we hold up in the air, or um, or, or meat company that we uh, uh, that, that sponsors us. We have no sponsors. Um, we are we work for the consumer, and the consumer is who pays our bills, sixteen thousand five hundred. Yeah, and it is our largest revenue stream. Advertising and affiliate sales and book royalties all are part of the picture. But members and uh, members pay the bills, and that's who we work for. What do you want your legacy to be? Well, 
that he lived another 20 years? <laughs> <laughs> At least, uh, come on, just, just getting started. I want the website to live beyond me. Um, uh, I, I, um, I think it does people good, um, and I, I want to make sure that it that it that it survives my uh, my, my death. Um, I'm 71, which means the clock is ticking. Guys my age drop dead all the time. I hope I don't anytime soon. We have a succession plan. I've got talented people around me, but uh, I'm I'll be honest with uh, you and your listeners. I'm actively. Uh, open to offers. If somebody wants to come along and buy this company, I want to go with it. I have no desire. You're going to find me with, you know, I'm, I'll kill over at, <laughs> at the grill or the keyboard. Uh, the main aspect of Meathead. <laughs> I have no, you know, people say, well, how are you doing in the, uh, in the uh, quarantine here? And it's like, I don't know. I did the same as always for me. I live in this chair in front of this keyboard, not on my deck on the grill with the grills and the smokers, and it doesn't affect me uh, directly. Uh, um, I'm, I've been a hermit for 30, 40 years, and <laughs> I remain a hermit. Uh, but I would like to um, my legacy to be AmazingRibs.com. I'd like that legacy, like it to go on beyond me. I think, uh, you know, for, for somebody that, I mean, when I started the podcast called Digital Hospitality, the thing that drives me uh, every single day, every single night is, is, is looking at the world through a different lens. And that, that's the lens of the world that we live in, you know, the world that it, it's an information age and sharing has never been easier. My grandfather, you know, I, I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for him. He was born in a village in Bulgaria on the other side of the earth. 1919, he was born to be a farmer. And if it wasn't for his grandfather who taught him a love of learning and a love of curiosity, he wouldn't have read every book in the village. He wouldn't have learned how to become a medical doctor. He wouldn't travel to Germany during war during wartime, figured out how to study German just so he could study medicine and then bring his family out here. If he had access to the Internet, if he had access, if he had a smartphone in that village, the level of education that he could have gotten and the things that he could have done. And that's the thing that it's just so it's phenomenal that we we still can't grasp how young the Internet is. We still can't grasp the tools that we have. Every single person that's listening right now in their pocket, 4K video from your phone, publishing directly to the Internet. I was there when it got started. I mean, I was there when, like I say, it was it was just letters on the no pictures. Type R for red wine, type W for white wine. Um, it has been breathtaking how it goes, but I, I got news for you. Damn thing still doesn't work worth a damn. Uh, I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I, I just read an article about a movie in the Chicago Tribune that I wanted to see, and it's on this streaming site, and he gave me the link, and I go to the URL, and I try to stream the movie, and I couldn't stream it. And it just didn't work. And uh, we still have we still have um, pop-ups uh, that show up on our screen, and they're usually embedded in somebody's browser. They blame us, but it says, "Congratulations, you've won a prize." And it's a virus, and uh, you know, it's 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 it, 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 it just it just drives me nuts. People blame us. Um, um, I mean, you know, th that kind of garbage is just so frustrating. I mean, that's frustrating. And like, I mean, what we've seen case in point during the coronavirus, we've never, there's never been a global, oh shit moment where people have literally realized, 
oh shit, I don't have a website to sell my products mm-hmm. and goods. Like, oh shit, I literally can't do events. So how do I do, how do I virtually make some sales? This has never been more relevant. Doing the things that you're doing, all these things, we're going to continue to work out. And the fact that you're giving the gift of barbecue to so many people all over the globe and that you've not only been doing it, but continue to do it. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a testament to, your, to you, to your hard work, your team's hard work, because it takes somebody, it takes a lot of humility to say you don't know everything and to bring a PhD onto your team, to bring somebody in to do the reviews that, that, that um, have been done. Um, oh, that's that's not humility. That's good business. Uh, uh, it, I mean, that's you know, the, the, I, I forget the guy's name, but is the uh, some some. I forget the guy who started. It's one of these tea companies, but he 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 wrote, and I read it years ago, and others have said it. Uh, the secret to good business is hire people smarter than you. Yes. Um, I mean, the the secret of good business is hiring. Um, sure. And, and particularly in the restaurant business, uh, because in the restaurant business, if you turn your back, uh, the cash register is empty uh, or, or the briskets go out the back door and they're in the dumpster. And after hours, they're back picking them out of the dumpster. Um, you know, um, you, you know, you got to have a, a good business model and a good business plan. I think a lot of people who had to go order and had a good website in the restaurant business, they're okay. Are they're, they're better off than the guys who only had, you know, 16 seats and no website and no sign on the door and uh, no, st- no, no, no carry out containers. And, uh, um, you know, uh, we're, it's really just, uh, the sad thing is, it's destroyed a lot of lives. Sure. And, and I mean, I, I, I have a lot of friends who are chefs. These are some of the most creative, ingenious, talented people. And uh, some of them are working in Amazon's warehouse now. Yeah. And that, that's that's sad. And uh, I don't know how long it's going to be before they come back. Um, I think that... Um, the restaurant business is going to struggle for a long time. I mean, they're, they're opening restaurants all over the country now. Sure. But not a lot of people are going to go into those restaurants. Um, uh, I think that uh, a lot of people underestimate the wisdom of the community and the fear of the virus. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, we don't talk politics anywhere, but there's a lot of discussion today about why the arena in um, Tulsa wasn't full. Yeah, And I, with all the discussion about the various, I just think a lot of people didn't want to be in, a, in with a crowd. I think yeah. a lot of people were afraid of the virus, had nothing to do with the president's popularity, had nothing to do with the protesters, had nothing to do with TikTok. People just don't want to be in crowds, and that's going to happen with restaurants. They're open. Hooray. Nobody, a lot of people are just not going back into those restaurants. You've talked about your business plan and how your business has changed. You're doing better now, according to what you told me the other day, uh, with your carryout business than you did with your sit-down business. We're more profitable as a digital restaurant than we ever were as a full-service restaurant sports bar. There you go. So there's the business model. And the question is, is what do you do after this is over? And how soon will, you know, I mean, are you allowed right now? What's that? Are you allowed? In, yes, in- we, are allowed, we are allowed to open. There are restaurants that are open in San Diego. Um, 
Are you doing it? They're open at limited capacity. No, we, uh, we, we've literally transformed the entire inside of our restaurant to facilitate the amount of volume that we're doing. So we have POS machines that are in front of our front door of our restaurant. We're serving out of windows. We have um, different a whole different setup inside the restaurant. We just don't think that it's safe for us to expose our staff and expose our customers to something that we that we can't control. So we're gonna I love doing. eating. I love restaurants. I love creative cooks. I used to go out to restaurants once or twice a week. Um, it's going to be a long time before I sit, step foot in a restaurant. You ordered anything delivered? Yeah, um, we've done it uh, 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 since the quarantine, which is about 100 days old at the time of this recording. Um, uh, we've done it maybe four or five times. Yep. Um, and I was delighted. There's a little Italian restaurant not far from us who was, was fairly young, new, um, just building a reputation. And you know how hard it is to do that. Um, we ordered out from them. Um, 45 bucks worth of pasta for two, mm-hmm. not cheap. Yep. Um, uh, there was a line of cars around the block. Wow, good for yeah, them. Yeah, so good for him. Um, uh, he's going to make it, I think. Um, but I think there's a lot of others. I wonder, you know, when this thing hit, um, two other industry people whom you know that I can't mention and I were planning to build an internet restaurant guide for barbecue restaurants mm-hmm. really good one and uh, we put that on hold for the time being because who knows who's going to be left well it, the ones that will be left I guarantee you they are strong on social they have a strong Facebook page a strong Yelp account they have a strong Instagram they know how to tweet they know how to optimize their website um, they built a following they, they know how to package things to go yeah but boy, the, the, bottom, yeah. the bottom line is people People love to eat out. Yeah, like but I got to tell you, we're strong on social media. I mean, I've got about 150,000 followers on Facebook and 25,000 on Twitter. Don't do anything on Instagram because I can't handle the band. I can't do it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hate it. <laughs> I absolutely detest it. I mean, 280 characters. People come to me on Twitter and say, you got any tips on brisket? Yeah, 280 characters, idiot. Yeah, sure. I'll tell you what. A guy named Dorsey owns this website, and a guy named Zuckerberg owns that other goddamn website. I own AmazingRibs.com. Come to AmazingRibs.com, ask the same question, and I have unlimited space, and I got five other um, uh, moderators whom I pay to help answer questions who will answer and give and take and back and forth with you all day long. Sure. 280 characters. Any tips on brisket? Give me a break. And I hate it. And then, then there's there's you know there's the the Billy the Kids. Uh, the they're out to shoot Marshall Dillon, you know, and and they want to argue with you. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and you know they, there's uh, people that want to argue with you in real life too. That's yeah. That's- yeah. I mean, it's like the, the, there are two subjects that we've written around that have gotten the. Most unbelievable responses. One is there's a humor piece on the website. I'm in Chicago, and in Chicago, the motto of Chicago is no ketchup on hot dogs. Fair enough. Okay, I jump on hot. I just, you know, everybody in Chicago knows this. Nobody violates the rule. Fair enough. 
and I have an article on the website, and it's and it's a humor piece. It has a, a clip from Dirty Harry where he says the same thing, and the Hot Dog Association and others, and it's clearly humor. And I get the nastiest letters from people saying, "I'll put whatever I goddamn please on my hot dog." Who the hell do you think you are? Well, they and probably then, uh, they probably work for Heinz. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> the the other one is is beer can chicken. Yep. yep. Um, and, and, and we're, we, you know, we blew, we blew that one up. Um, I mean, everybody loves beer can chicken, but it just doesn't work the way people think it works. Um, that, that beer can just can't boil. And if it can't boil, it can't create steam. Um, and if you cram it up the butt of a chicken, if there were any steam at all, it would only touch a small part of the interior of the chicken under the shoulders. It can't penetrate the meat. The meat is fully saturated, 70% moisture. It can't soak in. You could take a beer, a, a, a chicken breast, and float it in beer, and none of the beer is going to get in because it's saturated. It's just full. It's like a sponge that's full. Um, so it just can't get into the beer. And worse still is fat drips into the can, sits on top of the beer, so even if it did get hot enough to evaporate, it couldn't escape through the fat. And we tested it and tested it. We put thermometers in there. We weighed the beer can before and after. Plus, you've got this metal tube, so you can't brown the interior. And anybody who knows anything about cooking knows brown is beautiful. And you want to brown things to make flavor. Um, the, the best thing about beer can chicken is it looks cool. And we get people want to argue the chemistry, the physics. You don't understand. You know, I do understand. You know, <laughs> and, yeah. and and they just, you know, and, and they, they want to argue with me on social media about this stuff. And it, I'm sorry. It looks cool. And the reason it tastes good is it's roast chicken. And roast chicken always <laughs> tastes good. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. How, roast, you know, this tastes good. <laughs> now, uh, and you know, and we get, and we just, you know, and people attack, uh, you know. So I, I just, I just hate social media with a passion. But I have to, I have to use it, and it works for us. Useless. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that that back to that's the world that we live in, and you have to be where people are, and people are on Facebook, and people are on Yelp, and people are on Instagram, and people are on Twitter, and people are on AmazingRibs.com, um, because. You're creating incredible, compelling content. You're creating content that is engaging, that is truthful, that is myth-busting. And um, because of that, you've built this incredible following, and you're going to continue to build the following. Uh, this episode actually is going to be coming out uh, right before 4th of July. So I, I would be remiss if I don't ask Meathead, the, the authority in, in uh, barbecue, what, what, is, uh, what, what are you going to be doing this 4th of July? And um, any any Fourth of July tips? Oh God! Quarantine Fourth of July. Every year, the Fourth of July party is in our backyard, and the whole family. My wife has a large Italian American family, all of them within very easy driving distance, and uh, she just sent out an email today saying we're not going to have the party this year. And I, I meant to go up and say to her, why don't I just throw a whole bunch of ribs in the backwoods and tell the family, come by and pick up a slab. And, I, and why don't I go into your business and do carry out? Exactly. Like your I'll tell you this. I, this this is my, my little hobby horse here. Thanksgiving is turkey. 
Fourth of July is ribs. That's the, it's, I mean, uh, we know barbecue wasn't invented in America. We know they've been grilling and smoking and barbecuing in Europe and uh, Asia for long before this country was discovered. Um, and I know that's going to upset some people to hear that. Uh, <laughs> but, but ribs, the way we cook them is American. Yes. You, know, you go to Europe and uh, now you can find ribs, but you never could. Now they do because they're adapting American barbecue. I mean, there's rib, there's barbecue joints in Paris. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, ribs are the all-American barbecue dish, and it belongs on the 4th of July, the all-American holiday. And as long as we're going to close out on that theme, go get the new Kindle book we just published this week in time for the 4th of July on ribs. It's got a a really good rib rub, a really good barbecue sauce, and about 10 or 15 different ways to cook ribs, even indoors in crock pots. Um, Everything you need to know about ribs for $3.99. What a deal. and, And we probably, after... 15 years of being amazingribs.com probably figured out how to cook ribs. Absolutely. Well, happy 4th of July to you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for all the gifts that you've given to the internet, the world, the world of barbecue. Um, I really appreciate it. It's, uh, it's, it's truly, a, truly a pleasure, Meathead. Well, thank you. And, and, you know, I enjoyed this conversation because I enjoyed the fact that we had time to chat. I talk on radio a lot where you get eight minutes, four minutes, three minutes, you know, and there's no time to get in anything. And people don't often ask the business questions you ask. I like the way you interview. Um, you have good questions. And uh, this, this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Well, I appreciate that. And if anybody uh, wants to hear more of Meathead, be sure to uh, check out his monthly segment on the Barbecue Central show with uh, our boy Greg Rempe. And the last Thursday of every month, which is this week, um, I do a, uh, a live uh, broadcast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter where you can bring your questions. That's great. We're going to put um, a, an article that Ian from um, our boy, our writer, Ian, who's out of um, Austin, Texas, he's going to write an article on this interview. It'll be on the website. Stover will publish the podcast and uh, everything we talk about will be in there. All of links to Meathead's book and his appearances and his social and amazing ribs. You can join uh, Pitmaster, um, their pit club for free for 30 days. Um, yeah. Go and check it out. And um become a part of the the barbecue family. So thank you for your time, Meathead. You have have a great rest of your day. You too.